John 14, verses 1 through 14. I invite you to turn in your Bibles there. It's page 901 in the chair Bibles around you. We're starting a new chapter in John, but... Um, uh, but uh, let's not put too much emphasis on the chapter break here between chapters uh, 13 and 14 because uh, chapter 14 just flows seamlessly uh, from chapter 13. Uh, Jesus and his disciples are celebrating the Passover, but the celebration has become very somber. And this is for three reasons. First, uh, Jesus himself was troubled in his spirit because, uh, um, uh, um, because uh, Judas was going to uh, betray him. So we see that back in verse 13, in chapter 13. Uh, then we also see uh, that Jesus told the disciples that that he was uh, he was leaving them, and they would not be able to follow him at this time. And then third, he told Peter that Peter would deny him three times. And so, as you could expect, um, the 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 disciples' hearts are very troubled right now, and uh, perhaps confused about what's going on, and afraid for the future. So, starting in chapter 14, Jesus uh, comforts his sheep. And he draws them to see beyond the present darkness to, uh, to faith in the great purposes that Jesus has for leaving them. So, let's now read together God's word from John chapter 14, starting in verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so... Would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? Do you not believe that I am in the father and the father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Let's pray. O oh Lord, make known to us the path of life, because in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So Lord Jesus, help us to see that you are the way to everlasting life. And that everlasting life is you. You are the life. So Lord, we ask that you would reveal yourself to us, that we would know the truth, that the truth would set us free. 
And that through this passage, we would also be comforted in light of any of the troubles that are weighing us down. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why did Jesus leave us? Why did he leave us? Why did Jesus leave his disciples and ascend into heaven? Have you ever wondered that? Wouldn't it have been better if Jesus would have uh, stayed on earth, established a, a throne in Jerusalem to rule from? We could then see him, we could hear from him directly. All of his enemies couldn't deny his existence or his immortality or his power or his glory. Wouldn't that have been better than him disappearing into the sky and leaving the church to some fallible people? Maybe those thoughts have gone through your head as they have mine. But, but it's, a, it's a worldly way of thinking. If God was trying to achieve worldly success according to worldly standards, then yeah, maybe Jesus leaving his disciples was a bad idea and, uh, and hindered the spread of his kingdom. But God's thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. Just as a parent leaving for work saddens their children because they, they don't want understand why, why mommy or daddy has to leave and can't stay home with them. So in the same way, we often struggle to understand, understand why Jesus didn't stay with us, why he had to go to the Father. Jesus' disciples struggled to understand this as well, and, and they were initially uh, very discouraged to hear that Jesus was leaving them. So we see Jesus comfort his disciples and us um, in the remainder of this upper room discourse. In these 14 verses that we just read, uh, Jesus gives uh, three reasons to comfort us despite his departure. And he'll do it uh, by encouraging us to believe and trust in him and in his plan for leaving us. So as we study this passage, we're first going to consider the relationship between comfort and faith. And then we'll consider the three reasons uh, Jesus gives in this passage to comfort us while he is away. So look with me at verse 1. And let's see the relationship between comfort and faith. Verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. So even though Jesus' own heart was troubled by Judas's betrayal, he was not undone by what weighed on his heart. It did not keep him from comforting the troubled hearts of his disciples. Jesus didn't come, become just completely self-absorbed with his own troubles. We often do that, but Jesus didn't do that. Even though he was going to be betrayed, abandoned, endure excruciating pain, be forsaken by the Father, die, despite all of that hanging over him, weighing on his mind and heart, Jesus considers the heavy hearts of his disciples right then and there, and, and he begins to comfort them and lift up their spirits. And he does so by encouraging them to turn their minds away from what's troubling them and onto their faith and trust in God and also in him. Just as they believe in God the Father, so also they are to trust and believe in God the Son and what he is about to tell them. What Jesus is doing here. Um, Perhaps it can be illustrated by, um, by, uh, by understanding 
uh, airplanes. Uh, commercial passenger airplanes, they weigh between 100,000 and 800,000 pounds um, when they're loaded up and they're, they're ready for takeoff. Uh, 120 years ago, when Orville and Wilbur Wright were designing the very first airplane, it, it, it would have seemed impossible to them um, to think that uh, something as heavy and as massive as our modern-day airplanes could, could fly, let alone soar 30,000 feet above the ground and, and, and fly over uh, our, the greatest oceans and, and uh, continents of the world. So this is because the laws of gravity, as great as they are, are overcome, they can be overcome by the laws of flight. There's a relationship between thrust, drag, gravity, and lift. And so in the same way, although our hearts are weighed down by, with the immense burdens of this life, our spirits can be lifted up by faith and trust in Jesus. By faith in Jesus' promises and in his work on the cross and his victorious resurrection over death and his sovereign reign over all things, his immense love for us. Through all of these things, through that faith, our, our heavy hearts can soar even to the heights of joy, no matter what is weighing us down. Just as we read earlier in First Peter, although we have been grieved by various trials. Although we've been grieved by various trials as Christians, we are very frank about the griefs of this life. We don't just say, oh, you know, life's all great. Although we've been grieved by various trials, and although we do not now see Jesus, we believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. So don't doubt the power of faith in Christ to to cure your discouragement, your downcast spirit. As the sons of Korah cried out in Psalm 42, Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Jesus wants us to turn in faith to Him when we get discouraged and confused in this life. He wants us to trust Him and to look to, in hope to what he is doing now and what he is going to do in the near future when he returns. As we started the service, I asked the question, what's, what's troubling you right now? What's weighing you down? Don't merely hope for your circumstances to change. That won't ultimately lift up your spirit to joy and sustain you. Instead, look in faith to Christ and all that he has promised to be for you, all that he, all the ways he feels about you, his love for you, and all that he has promised to do for you. It is immeasurably greater than the heaviest burden you bear. As the Apostle Paul puts it, this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. This light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So brothers and sisters, let the hope of that future weight of glory lift up your weighed down hearts like a scale. 
the, the weight of your burdens. Yeah, they may be great. And, and I, I know a lot of what you guys, individually, what a lot of you are going through right now. And there is some really, really heavy stuff that people in this church are dealing with. So let the, let the, even though this can be so heavy, they are light in comparison to the eternal weight of glory that we will all be immersed in when Jesus comes back. So hear these words of Jesus spoken to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Jesus then comforts his disciples with truth, with reasons for why he is leaving them. The first reason is that Jesus left to prepare a place for us. So look with me at verse, verses 2 and 3. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. These are some really well-known verses. Um, these are often uh, read at Christian funerals. There's a lot here to lift us up. Jesus left us because he has work to do for our future with him. He's preparing a place for us in his father's house. Jesus says that there is plenty of room there. In his father's house, there are many rooms. Now, some of you may be uh, more familiar with the King James Version that says uh, mansions. Um, but uh, when you look at the, the, the history of that interpretation, um, you can see that that was drawn off of the Latin word mansio, and the English word mansion was the most uh, similar to that Latin word. But, but mansion isn't the best translation here. Um, it doesn't reflect the original Greek word, uh, which is just more general. It just means uh, dwelling place. So, uh, rooms here is a, is a good translation because rooms are dwelling places in a house, uh, while mansions aren't in a house. That being said, a room in God's house is far more glorious than any earthly mansion you can imagine. So, so the glory of dwelling with God isn't diminished at all by translating it as room here instead of mansion. The most glorious thing, however, um, about what Jesus is saying here is not about the place uh, that we will live, but about who we will live with. We will dwell with God. We will live with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Jesus perfectly reveals the heart of God for us, the, the love and longing God has to dwell with us. And we see this at the end of verse 3 when he says, that where I am, you may be also. That where I am, you may be also. That's, that's God's heart. That's, why, that's, what, that's what God's doing here. This is, the whole Bible is about this. The whole Bible is a story of God's relationship with his people. God dwelt with and walked with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. But when they sinned, they got kicked out of, of Eden and, and they ceased to dwell with God. Because God is holy and they were not. Psalm 5.4 says, Evil may not dwell with God. Evil may not dwell with God. Why? Because God is a consuming fire. 
God is a consuming fire. And that means that he is so holy that all evil is burned up like fire before his holy presence. So, think back in the Old Testament to Leviticus, Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron. They um, brought unauthorized fire before the Lord. They sinned before the presence of God's glory. And then out of the glory of the Lord that was, that was shining right there, that was, that was showing up, out of the glory of the Lord came fire that consumed Nadab and Abihu. So God is holy. He's a consuming fire. And evil may not dwell with God. So we have a problem. We have sinned. All of us, each one of us, we've sinned. And so we are unholy. But Jesus has made a way for us to dwell with our holy God. He took the punishment for our sin on the cross that we deserved. And then he sanctified us. He made us holy. He put his very Holy Spirit, his own Holy Spirit into us. So God is dwelling in us in this life. He's sanctified us. And then we will dwell with God in the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, Revelation uh, 21 verses 3 and 4 uh, gives a vision of this. At the end of the Bible, this is everything's culminating up to this point. And a voice proclaims, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That is what the whole Bible is moving towards. That is what all of human history is moving toward. The day when God will dwell unhindered with his people. And he will comfort them. Never more to cry again. Never more to die again. Ever more to live with him. This is God's heart. This is why Jesus left us. Because he is preparing a place for us to dwell with him. William Hendrickson put it well when he said this. So wonderful is Christ's love for his own. That he's not satisfied with the idea of merely bringing them to heaven. He must needs take them into his own embrace. God desires to dwell with his people. So, what is Jesus doing right now to prepare for heaven? Um, what, what's he doing to prepare it for us? Uh, does, does he have to build it? Is he decorating it? What's, what is Jesus doing to prepare a place for us right now? Well, um, Jesus isn't building it. He's not... He's not uh, He's not decorating it or anything like that. Um, Jesus can do all that with a single word. Um, all that can come to be uh, by the very word of his power. Um, so what is he doing? He, Jesus is preparing heaven for us uh, for, in a few different ways. Um, he's preparing heaven for us by being the forerunner into heaven for us as our high priest. Hebrews 6, 9, 19 and 20 says... We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. That's an illustration of the, um, of the uh, tabernacle and temple where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. 
So Jesus is our, our forerunner on our behalf. We need a high priest in heaven. We need a high priest to intercede for us in heaven because God is holy and apart from our high priest Jesus, we are not. Jesus sanctifies us by his blood because not only is Jesus the high priest, he's also the sacrifice. Jesus sanctifies us by his blood so that we too can enter into heaven. The true holy of holies that the tabernacle and the temples were mere shadows of. So Jesus has gone into heaven, not just as our high priest, but also as our king. He has prepared heaven for us by sitting on heaven's throne. Jesus ascended to a a higher throne than, than David's throne in Jerusalem. He has, in essence, as David's offspring, taken David's throne and elevated it to the right hand of God. Because all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him, no earthly throne would be fitting for such a king. Only the highest throne that rules over all the universe, over everything visible and invisible, over every ruler and every spiritual power, only the throne of God in heaven is worthy of King Jesus. So Jesus is preparing heaven for us by being there. Being there as our high priest and as our king. Without him there, heaven wouldn't be heavenly. And so if Jesus had stayed on earth instead of ascending into heaven, then when we would die, we would leave his presence and be away from him. Jesus has chosen instead to be with us on the other side of death, not on this side. And we need him more in heaven now as our high priest and king and prophet than we do here. Jesus is also preparing heaven for us by saving the people that will be there. By saving the people that will be there. Um, After Jesus ascended into heaven, he poured out his Holy Spirit in a far greater way than ever before. And we see throughout the book of Acts, throughout the New Testament, that so many more come to faith in Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit in the church than during Jesus' earthly ministry. A couple of chapters later in John 16, John says this to his disciples, But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, Where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. For if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So because Jesus ascended into heaven, he has sent us his helper. That's his Holy Spirit. And his spirit is convicting the world as the church proclaims the gospel and people from every tongue, tribe, language, and nation are being being born again of the spirit, becoming new citizens of heaven. So Jesus is preparing heaven for us by saving the rest of our family, by pouring out his Holy Spirit from his throne on, on heaven. So he's saving the rest of our family. Because what's home without family? Look with me now at verses 4 through 6. 
Jesus says, And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now it's comforting to know that Jesus is preparing heaven for his people, but the disciples weren't sure how to even get to heaven. But the way to heaven, the way to get to heaven isn't a path. It isn't a series of special prayers. It isn't a law to obey. The way to heaven is a person. Jesus said that he is the way. This is similar to how Jesus said a few chapters earlier. It's, how, uh, it's similar to how he said that he is the resurrection. The resurrection isn't merely an event. It's a person. In the same way, the path to heaven is nothing more than the person of Jesus Christ. He walked the path of righteousness that, that perfectly that, that, that we couldn't walk. And so when we believe in Jesus, we are united to him as he walks on the path of righteousness to heaven. He brings us there. Jesus is the way to the Father. I think it's uh, interesting that when you look at the book of Acts, the church, uh, Christians uh, in the book of Acts, they're often called the way. The way. Um, And I think it's uh, perhaps a a reference here to to Jesus that that the disciples identified themselves as they, they are followers of the way of Jesus. Jesus says that he is not only the way, but he is the truth and the life. Jesus is the truth and that he is the perfect self-revelation of God. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 says this of Jesus. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. So Jesus is the truth, the word from the Father. Jesus says in John 8, 31, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So everything that Jesus ever said was true, completely and fully true. And not only that, it was truth from the Father. Everything the Father wanted Jesus to say, he said it. And it brings freedom. This is truth that leads to freedom. It's only through the revelation of Jesus Christ that you can find the way to heaven. So Jesus is the way, he is the truth, and he is also the life. All true and everlasting life is found in him. All life has come from him, and all life is sustained by him, and and life everlasting in heaven is found only in him. The Apostle John started this gospel saying in chapter 1 that in him, in Jesus, was life. And the life was the light of men. And then in John 3, 36, Jesus says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, and whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Jesus is the life, the greatest essence of life, the the life par excellence. He is abundant life. He is eternal life. He is the way to life, and he is the life the journey and the destination. He is the truth you must know and believe so that you can find the way to heaven and to everlasting life. He's each one of those parts. The way, 
the truth and the life. Now Jesus is not just a way to the Father. He is the only way to the Father. There's no other way. There's no other door. There's no other truth to get you to heaven. There's no other life that will give you eternal life. It is all only through Jesus Christ. And we live in a day and age where this is, this is really offensive. You often hear the phrases, all religions lead to heaven. Or, uh, or uh, all religions worship the same God. They just use different names for him. But that's just simply not true. Even, even an introductory understanding of the different world religions would, would uh, make, it, make it quite evident that, that they can, cannot all be true. That the gods described are vastly different. No one comes to the Father except through the Son, through faith in Him, through His shed blood washing them clean. The Apostle Peter says of Jesus in Acts 4.12, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. No other name. Maybe you're here today and you, you think, God will let you into heaven because you're basically a good person. I mean, you know, your good deeds are more than your bad deeds. Uh, there's a lot, a lot worse people out there than you. But that'll never do. You can only be saved by Jesus Christ. Or maybe you're, you're a child here today, and, uh, and you think that, well, because your parents are Christians, then you're going to go to heaven too. That also will never do. You must be saved by Jesus. He alone is the way to heaven. Remember that, children. He alone is the way to heaven. Or maybe you're here today and you think that, well, you know, Muslims and Jews, they, they'll go to heaven because they worship the same God of Abraham as the Christians do. But that's not true. You can only come to the Father through faith in Jesus Christ. If you've never put your trust in Jesus Christ, if you've never repented uh, from all of your sins and put your hope in Jesus alone to reconcile you to God, then don't waste another day. Don't waste another day. Receive the life of God. In Jesus, there is true life, a kind of life that you've never tasted before. In Him, there's truth. When you know the truth from God, when you begin to understand God's word, the lights, the lights turn on. And you can understand, you can begin to understand the world and everything around you. You can begin to understand God and how, who, he, who He truly is. So let the Holy Spirit convict you this morning. Don't, don't resist Him right now. Listen to what he's, he's telling you. He's revealing to you your need for a Savior and the infinite worth of heaven and don't resist the Holy Spirit. He's offering life everlasting to you. Believe in the Lord Jesus. Receive His life. After Jesus says that he's the only way to the Father, uh, uh, Philip then 
um, makes a pretty bold request. In verse 8, he says this, uh, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. As I mentioned earlier, Jesus is the true self-revelation of God. And so to know the Son is to know the Father. John 1.18 says, No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. So if you, if you want to know the Father, you must know the Son. And if you know the Son, then you know the Father. Sinclair Ferguson put it this way, and it won't sound as good as with me reading it as him with his Scottish accent. But I'll, I'll read it anyways. He, he said this, The Father and Son are different in person, and yet one in disposition. This is profoundly significant for our theology, but these words are also profoundly significant on a personal level. They imply that there is nothing in the Father's character or in His attitude toward us that is different from what we find in Jesus. In this sense, to see Jesus is to see the Father. We need never fear that there might be something hidden, perhaps even sinister, in Him. So if you want to know the heart of, the, of God the Father, then, then read the Gospels and, and let, let Christ show you the heart of, of your Heavenly Father. I, I, I don't know about you, but um, uh, I, I have, uh, uh, on, on, one, on, on, on my dad's side of the family, um, there, there's a lot of people that look a lot like uh, my grandma. And my grandma passed away um, you know, a few decades ago. Um, but when I, when, when I see the, um, the, those members on, on, on that side of my family, and even a great-granddaughter of hers, um, I, I see the resemblances, and I see, I see similar ways of, of how they talk and how they act, um, and their, their disposition is just so similar, and it just reminds me, it reminds me of my grandma. And in the same way, and in a much greater way, the son has the same disposition as the father. To know the, the son is to know the, the father. They are of the same heart, of the same disposition, of the same mind. So as you look in scriptures, see, see Christ's love for you. See how he provides for you. See how he teaches you and guides you. And even though Jesus is not with us here physically, he is with us here by his spirit. And he's given us his word so that we can know the Father through him. Another way that Jesus comforts us is by telling us that he left us uh, to do uh, greater works through us. He left to do greater works through us. You see this in verses 12 through 14. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that my Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So because Jesus has ascended into heaven, he is then able to do greater works through the church by the power of his Holy Spirit. Now there's a lot of discussion uh, among theologians as to how to interpret these verses. There's certainly some, some challenges. Uh, the miracles uh, that Jesus did during his earthly ministry 
they're frankly they're they're impossible to top. It's it's impossible to do greater works than those. Uh, think about it: you know, raising people from the dead, feeding thousands of people on um, a few bread and fish, uh, turning water into wine, uh, healing so many people just various um, conditions and diseases, um, uh, casting out demons, uh, and and then uh, just think about how he resurrected resurrected himself from the dead. Okay, so it's. Uh, uh, it's it's harder to think of us doing greater works than Jesus in in that regard. Um, so, in what sense will those who believe in Jesus do greater works? Uh, the best answer um, that I think I've found is is that the the greater greatest work that Jesus does is the miracle of salvation. And so, after Jesus pours out His Holy Spirit onto the apostles at Pentecost. There is a great number of conversions that immediately take place. Over 3,000 are converted on, a, on that single day, uh, which um, some estimate uh, that, that those 3,000 conversions are more than all of the conversions that took place during Jesus' earthly ministry of three years. So um, Jesus accomplishes his greatest miracle of rebirth uh, on a single day, um, uh, in a single day, he accomplishes more um, of that than he than he had done in the the previous three years of his earthly ministry. Um, then, but it doesn't stop there. Then the gospel goes forth, and then thousands more come to faith in Christ. And then the gospel goes to the Gentiles and uh, beyond the bounds of Israel to uh, where Jesus had ministered, and just to the farthest points of the known world. And it continues to spread to this day. So in these ways, Jesus was doing greater works than before through his church. So remember, it's the, it's, it's, through, it's the Lord Jesus Christ doing these works. It's Lord Jesus, through his Holy Spirit, dwelling in us as people. It's through that, through him, that we are able to preach the gospel and see the miracle of the new birth happen. And so it is a comfort to us to know that Jesus has left us so that he can do even greater works by his Holy Spirit as he reigns on, his, on the highest throne. And it's in verses 13 and 14 that we see how Jesus is going to do this. He's going to work through us when we pray to him. He calls us to pray to him because he is God and will be on the throne of all authority. And so we can ask anything in his name. And if it is according to his will, he can and will do it. Jesus wants us to pray to him and, and to pray boldly. To ask for more than what we can even imagine. But we shouldn't just expect to get everything we want if we just simply end our prayers with, in Jesus' name, as if that's a, a, you know, a secret formula to use. Leon Morris clarifies this saying, This does not mean simply using the name as a formula. It means that prayer is to be in accordance with all that name stands for. With all that that name stands for. So as you pray, pray in Jesus' name. But pray according to what is fitting for the glory of his name, for the advancement of his kingdom, the spread of his name to the ends of this earth, for his purposes. If what you're praying for doesn't align with that, then you know, don't expect it. 
But also know that as we pray, Jesus is interceding for us and, and praying for us that the Father might give us the good things that we truly need. So pray boldly. Pray often. Pray, pray with specifics. I mean, sometimes, guys, sometimes we pray pretty generally, and that, that's okay too, to pray general prayers, but, but sometimes uh, we need to pray uh, a lot more specifically because God intimately knows what we need. And he can answer even those specific prayers. To pray for the pray for the salvation of your lost friends and family members. And pray it all in Jesus' powerful name. So finally I want to end with the comfort that Jesus gives us back in verse three. So we're gonna move back a little bit. Jesus says this in verse three. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. I will come again and take you to myself. Jesus has left us. He hasn't left us alone. His Holy Spirit is with us. But he's left us. But he's also returning. He's coming back. Jesus loved the Father, and so he, he immediately returned to him once his mission on earth was completed. But Jesus also loves us and will return for us once his work in preparing heaven is finished. So no matter what troubles your heart today, whatever's weighing you down, remember this. Jesus is coming back for you. He'll make everything right. He'll wipe away every tear. He'll destroy all of your enemies, even death. So let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in Jesus. He is coming soon to dwell with us. That's his heart. That's what he's longing for. So let's pray for God to hasten that day. Heavenly Father, we come to you. We thank you so much for sending us your Son that we might know you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have made known to us the truth so that we might know the way, which is you, so that we might have the life which is you. Lord, we're in awe of your love for us, your sacrifice for us, how you desire to dwell with little us. And so, Lord, we long for that day for, for you to return, for you to come back and take us home. Well, Lord, we ask that that, that, that day would be, be soon. There's so many, so many troubles in this world, so many problems, so many hurts, pains, diseases, wars. So we ask, Lord Jesus, that you would come back soon. Take your bride home. Take your family home to the Father. We ask, Lord, that this reality would comfort us. No matter what heavy things are weighing us down, Lord, we ask that you would lift us up with these truths. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.